You're listening to audio from The Village Church. If you'd like to check out more resources or give to our ministry, please visit us at thevillagechurch.net. Good morning, church. My name is Ashley McCauley, and I've had the joy getting to serve alongside of my husband, Matt McCauley, who's the family minister here. And I'm going to be reading 1 John 4, 9 through 10. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thanks, Ashley. Hey, guys. It's good to see you. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and grab them if you have them on a device. I just want you to see, we're just literally going to walk through that phrase by phrase. And and I think 90% of it, you're going to be like, this is right and good and amazing and then we've got some potential for conflicts this morning in, in a little bit other section of it. But hey, I, I think we've endured things. We're going to be fine. Um, it's week three uh, of Advent. The focus of Advent in week three is the advent of love or uh, the coming of love in the person of Jesus Christ. And that's, that's really helpful because uh, the most consistent sentiment Uh, on a creator God, if there is one, uh, is that he loves and that he is loving. And and so it's not like there there are times when you're having to preach and you're like, man, there's not even framework for this in 2022. But this is one where by and large, people everywhere who believe in God are quick to say, yeah, he's love. God is love. He is loving. What he does proceeds from love. And here's what's great. They're not wrong. In fact, the Bible very much says God is love. It's not something he does. It's something that he is. So more than God is loving, he is love, which makes all of his actions loving, whether we understand it or not. And so what I want to do is look at this passage um, that helps kind of shape and refine maybe our understanding of what love is as mature as it probably is in our day and age. So let's look at this passage together, starting in verse nine. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us. Now, I don't know if you write in your Bible a highlight, anything like that. If you do, I would highlight, circle, star, whatever you do, that little phrase, among us. You could also circle manifest. It just means to make visible. Like what does love look like? Well, God's gonna make love visible. Where's he going to do that? He's going to do that among us. How's he going to do it? That God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. Now, now I, I love this because it's, it's laying before all of us the difference between Judeo-Christian understanding of creation and the rest of the ancient Near East. See, the Christian story stands out completely other than in the ancient world. Uh, What what I mean is that God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit in perfect, pure unity and communion, deeply committed and deeply in love with one another, overflow out of that beauty and perfection 
onto the canvas of creation and everywhere we look, as far as we can look, we see an overflow of the triune harmony of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit versus the other ones where this God fought this God and he body slammed him and the mountains were poured and he cried and he filled an ocean. I'm not joking. That's kind of the ancient nears. Always war, always competing gods, but the Judeo-Christian creation story is like, no, no, no. Out of beauty, out of love, out of union, it pours out onto the canvas of creation so that the real scandal I mean, the real scandal of Christmas, the the real scandal of Advent, the real scandal of this season is that God the Son, second person of the Trinity, co-eternal with the Father, has always been and will always be condescended and put this on, like this. And maybe you're just in better shape than I am, so you're like, I get it. But no, no, like... co-eternal with the Father, condescends, puts this on, needs food, needs naps, needs to be burped. God in the flesh, condescended, became like us, dwelt among us, not a myth, historical person. God in the flesh, and, and what did he come to do? Well, well, the text is, is simple. He, he came so that you and I might have life. There's this kind of distinction that the New Testament makes. Uh, I think it's a great one. I've experienced it personally. I've seen it quite a bit. And that's that there's a difference between being fully alive in Christ and existing. That that's not the same thing. And that's not to say that people who don't love and submit their lives to Jesus don't have a good time. That's not true. Like, you don't have to be a Christian to have a good marriage. I don't believe that. You don't have to be a Christian to enjoy sex. You don't have to be a Christian to enjoy the almighty fajita. You don't have to be a Christian. But I will tell you that outside of Christ, there is a governor on that pleasure that robs you from experience the fullness of that thing. That belongs to those who are in Christ. And here's why. Because the thing is never meant to terminate on itself. And if you don't know and believe that there's a creator who gave that to you, then how can you roll past the gift itself? Like all you have is a steak and that's good, but it's not all that it was meant to be. All you have is sex and that's good, but it's not what it was meant to be. All you have is comfort, but that's good. It's not all that it was meant to be. And on and on and on I could go. There's a governor on our lives until we acknowledge there's a creator who gives these good things so that we might worship him. Listen, we were created as worshiping creatures. So even if you consider yourself an atheist, like a hardcore atheist in here, you're worshiping something. You can't help it. You were built for it. Your whole physical being, intellectual wiring, and soul has to give honor and praise to something. You can't help but worship. What the Christian gets is to marvel that God would make this taste like this. That that God would create parts of us that were just built for pleasure. Is that too much on a Sunday morning? Don't ask any questions, kids. Like, like God did that. Like, it's God's gift to us. Why does he do that? Well, because he's good. And so the text here, it's saying that this God made love visible. You want to know what love is? I'm going to make it visible to you, and I'm going to make it visible among you. Love that. 
And, and then look, like, here's what I mean by life. Look at this. John 1, 4. In him was life. And that life was the light of men. John 4, 14. The water that I will give him, those who trust in him, will become in him a spring of water welling up unto eternal life. And then John 10, 10. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. But I came that they might have life and have it to the full. It is sheer propaganda that would consider us to be repressed, crusty people. And if you are one, we've missed something in discipleship. No, we, we are a people who celebrate the good gifts of God's grace and roll past those gifts to the one who is the giver, which completes the joy. It increases and completes the joy. But that's next week's sermon. Now, from here, he defines love. In this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Okay. So now here, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to have to do it. I'll pray I survive. In 2004, uh, my beautiful wife uh, approached me and wanted to go see a movie. Um, she's great. Normally I can watch all sorts of movies where stuff blow up and, and people are rightly destroyed and blown up. And, um, and so she's really good. But in 04, there was a big new movie out. It was called The Notebook. Okay, so, and I know some of you are right now, like, don't you dare. And so I went. And he, here's, it's like cards on the table. I hunt. I do jujitsu. And I cried like a baby in that movie. And okay, well, wait, no, don't clap yet, ladies. So I got to say something. And then I got home. And by the way, this movie is, you Google most romantic movies of all time. That's on the list. Usually in the top three. That, she is a terrible woman in that movie. She is engaged to a man who loves her, provides for her, cares for her, romances her, dances with her, loves her parents, gives her the rock, you know, like rock, rock. Oh my God, it's too much. And what does she do? How does she respond? And she goes back to a dude she met in high school and spends a full weekend with him and this good man comes willing to forgive. She is a terrible person. That's the most romantic movie we've ever seen. Human love is broken and tainted and there's no version of it in which we should start with human love and say, that's what it should look like. You're like, come on, they died together. Yeah, but the other guy died when he was 32. War hero. Again, I'm, I'm already, I've already burned bridges here with you. Um, it's just like we can't even see it. We're like, oh my God. She is a terrible, terrible person. And if you knew her, why are y'all awing? Am I lying? Did she not do this? What kind of definition of love do you have? Did Cupid pop her? And if he can, are any of us safe in our covenants? This is a really bad way to define love, right? Choose, it's not that easy. No, it is, you've made a promise. And so he's saying, look, you can't start with you. Okay, I'll stop, I'll get off the notebook, we're fine. I might come back. (laughs) Think of people you really love. Like you love them, however you would define that word. You're like, I love you. Have you failed them? Have you fallen short intentionally and unintentionally? Have you hurt them, like hurt them bad? So why would we start with us? Yes, come on. 
It's just tainted. It's just, it just can't, it's not gonna be the right lenses. And so the text says, no, no, don't start with us. Start with him. Start with him. And, and then we, we see it. Like you see that love is defined according to the scriptures in the sending of the son and what the mission of the son is. Like this is John 3, 16 and 17. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. And then again, listen to this. It's John 15, 13 through 14. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. I know that would ruffles us a little bit. We'll get to that here in a second. Romans 5, 6 through 8. I'm, I'm going to read this one slow. For while we were still what? Weak. weak? What? Not when we were strong? Now we put it together. Wait, it was when we were weak. All right, that's, that's different than maybe I thought. At the right time, Christ died for the who? Wait, not the godly? He didn't die for the strong and the godly? That doesn't make any sense. It certainly doesn't make sense in a lot of church circles I've been in. Seems to me he died for the grimy. Died for that brother that's got some issues. Still got them issues. Testimony ain't the not yet yet. Tracking with me? His story just hadn't got there yet. Her story just hadn't got there yet. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one might dare even to die. But God shows his love for us and that while we were still sinners... Christ died for us. How do you define love? You define love by the perfect holy one approaching those who are imperfect and unrighteous and laying down his life so that they might be rescued and ransomed from their foolishness. Not, not like, I've got this emotion. He drives me crazy. No. That he drives me crazy leads to he drives me crazy. <laughs> this is different. This is different. Now, he, here's where, because see, I think up until this point, other than the notebook truth, you're probably going, yeah, like I get that. I, I love that. God is love. Praise him. And, and yet there, there's this word here that's going to maybe create beef between us. I don't want that. Uh, but it's just a word that, that we can't, you know, you, you gotta, the book's got to bear its weight. The Bible always simultaneously encourages and confronts. And if it never confronts you, you you're not reading it. Or you're like cutting it up like Thomas Jefferson did, right? your version of the Bible. So it encourages, speaks life, reminds you what's true, and then it confronts. And we've got to get more and more comfortable with it confronting us. So there's this word here, right in the middle of God's love for us and him moving towards us. It's this word propitiation. I'm sure you've already used it today. You know, you're getting on your kid about finding that shoe that's with, you know, the, the socks that you can't find and the Tupperware lids, that, that shoe you can't find, right? It's, it's this word that right in the middle of this, God is love, and, and here's how he shows his love. He's shown his love in bringing you life and meaning and purpose and beauty and truth and goodness and to appease his wrath. That's what propitiation means, to appease wrath. Now, now here's the kind of cognitive dissonance that's occurred in 2022. 
It's actually, it's been getting like worse the last decade. That when we talk about God is love, what we're saying is that if he were love, I could do whatever I want. And then some of us, I mean, it's ooched, it's ooched into crazy land where not only do you have to approve of what I want, but you have to celebrate it. If you don't celebrate it, that's unloving, that's hateful, that's, and that's absurd. And so what happens when you, when you take that idea and you lay it on top of God, you like pull God out of the tension of his holiness. So here, this is free, right? This, let me step, this is free, not in there. All truth is intention. Are you tracking with me on that? If you've ever like put up a tent, like, a, like not those new ones that are, you press a button and there's like a dining room, like a simple A-frame, single pole tent, you, you use these, these ropes and you tie it and you create tension and the tension on the rod holds the tent up. Well, all truth is intention. In four separate occasions in the Bible, God is love, period. And in 600 locations in the Bible, we read God is is holy, period. So that God is love, and it's a different kind of love than ours, one that can be trusted. Why? Because God is holy. And the more you love something purely, the more capacity for wrath you possess. To say that God doesn't hate sin and sinners is an accusation against his love. It defends him from nothing. It sentimentalizes him and puts him in the notebook. God is love because God is holy. And because God's love is so ginormous, his capacity for wrath is very real and very present. And I think one of the reasons why a lot of evangelicals feel comfortable kind of piddling around with God is they don't realize this ain't a game. Like we even, we've joined the sentimentality of our own age, even when we say things like this. And here's where we we might fall apart today, but I'm going to let the book um, help me. God, no, Matt, he, he hates the sin, brother. He doesn't hate the sinner. That's awesome. I mean, that's not in the Bible. It's not what the Bible says, but it works. I mean, it helps us. It, it doesn't help us love God more or experience his love more. It creates distance from the one thing we actually need because then we don't see his love as bright and as flamey as it is. Let me, let me show you what I mean because I know I just bothered some of you. This is Psalm 5, verse 5. And I'm using the Psalms on purpose because everybody loves the Psalms. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Say it, preacher. Okay. This is Psalm 5, 5 through 6. The boastful shall not stand before your eyes. You hate all evildoers. You destroy those who speak lies. The Lord abhors the bloodthirsty and deceitful men. 15 times in the first 50 Psalms, that sentiment is present. It's not really hate your behavior. No. God hates sin and sinners. And to say that he doesn't takes away from his love, not his character. In fact, to say that he doesn't, to say that he doesn't is an accusation against his holiness that is evil as anything else. Because what you're saying is that God is indifferent to the destruction and the maligning of his good, perfect creation. What you're saying is that God doesn't care enough 
to be bothered. God doesn't care enough to be angry. He doesn't love enough to hate evil. He, he doesn't hate or he doesn't care enough to despise evildoers. He's just, it's going to work itself out. Give it time. And then here's why you and I have to hate people. I got to hate people if God isn't the one who handles vengeance. Don't I? Because when will there ever be justice? So now, man, I got to handle my business. Oh, you're going to try to harm me? I'm going to take matters into my own hand. You're going to try to slander me? I'm going to take matters in my own hand. I don't ever have to take matters in my own hand. Why? Because there's a holy one who sits and reigns in perfect love over his creation. I know, you hear the smattering? This is hard stuff. I know, some of you are like, Chandler, I brought a friend. Come on. <laughs> but, but hear me. If, if you get that truly all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, if you really believe that all of your rebellion is actually an accusation against him, right? You ever coveted? You ever thought somebody else had the life that you deserve? I mean, I know you haven't, but let's pretend. <laughs> right? That, that person that you don't like for maybe good reason. Like something good happens to them and you're just like, I can't believe that. You, that's an accusation against God. You, you just told God he's not fair. You just told God you know what's best for you and for them. You wanna, you wanna, we can go through the whole Ten Commandments here. All sin is an accusation against God that he is not good, he is not fair, and he's not to be trusted. Now, here's where love is made visible and defined. Your response, your accusations against God, your rebellion against his goodness and grace. Maybe you don't like that I'm messing with the notebook because that's your backstory, man. Here's what's great. What did God do in light of all that? Move towards, sent his son, came to give life. That's not your story. Look, your story is one of redemption if you submit and surrender to Jesus. Your story is now a trophy of grace. And, and maybe you want to, you know, dive in and send me a doctrinal paper on maybe she did. You know, come to Christ. And this is now a story of redemption. And you saw in this scene, there was a cross next to her bed. So it's fine, Chandler, lay off. Right? I don't know. It could be a story of redemption. That's not the one we saw. We saw the frailty of human love. And, and yet what we see here is that in our rebellion, in that white, hot, right wrath towards the destruction of what's good, beautiful, and true, God moves towards in love. That's how love is defined. That's love at its essence, in its truth. Everything else is a shadow. The covenant we make with our spouses, that's a shadow of the covenant that would never be broken at any level, accidentally, intentionally, ever, right? Now, I want to remind you, because this is super important, God is love, he has wrath. You tracking with me? He, he isn't wrath that has to love, no. He is love, and because he is holy and loving, he has wrath. And he better, or he's not just. And if he's not just, then he's not God. Right? Are, are, am I connecting it well enough? Okay, if, if not, I, I plan on being here for 20 years. We'll, we'll keep working on it. Now, he, here's the last piece that I want to put together, and I think it's a huge one. And I think it's another one that, um, again, we're going to have to talk about truth and tension because um, people tend to, like, pick a side here, and, and then they, they like negate the whole part of the Bible that talks about this, and they negate the whole part of the Bible that teaches like that, but it's truth and tension. It's yes is our answer, right? And, and so not only um, has God, according to this passage, 
manifested love, made it visible. Not only has he defined love in approaching his enemies and giving them life and saving them from the wrath that they rightly sit under, but this love is not just meant to be known in our minds, but experienced in our hearts. So that the love of God is not some sort of doctrinal, I've got the definition of it, but it's rather something that we're meant to experience in the deeper parts of our souls. And and I would argue very little changes until that actually happens. Now let me show you the truth in tension. Um, There's a, a group of people that even now, you're in here and you're a little nervous about this. Why? Because we're people of faith and we're people of the book. Whether we feel it or not, this is true, right? Anybody? Like no matter what I feel, this is what the Bible says, therefore this is what is true. There's a group here and, and they're saying that and they're thinking it and they're a little nervous about what I'm talking all this experience stuff and, and I'm going, oh no, I'm 100% with you. And then there are people that are like, no, listen, you just pray and sing and you stud all that doctrine, it'll make you crusty, it'll make you mean, it'll make you what you need. You just need to create environments that are emotional. In fact, sing that song again. And, and really what you see in the Bible is men and women deeply rooted in faith with a hunger to experience the presence of God in an intimate, personal way. Right, so let me, let me show you that. First, let me read you this quote. I love this quote. It actually came from a commentary that it shocked me that it was in it, right? It was in a stream that I thought would be real skeptical of all this stuff. Here's what he says. Knowledge of Christ's love in the sense of an inward, personal experience of it. And then I love this. It's freeness, it's tenderness, it's depth, it's patience, is the great dynamic of the gospel. This love is transmuted, transformed, changed into spiritual force. So we experience this personal love for God, and it is transmuted. It is changed into spiritual power, changed into a spiritual force. As the breeze fills the sails and bears forward the ship, so the love of Christ fills the soul and moves it in the direction of God's will. But in its fullness, it passeth knowledge. It is infinite not to be grasped by mortal man and therefore always presenting new fields to be explored, new depths to be fathomed. So two things I want to do. Rooted in faith, hungry for the manifest presence of God. Here's rooted in faith. We are, I love you, we are people of the book. We are part of a historic community of faith that has taken its cues from the scriptures. Every generation might ask different questions of that book, but we are always people of the book, which means if the book says it, It's true, and I believe it. And that means I want to be deeply rooted, deeply rooted in the fact that the Bible says God loves me, there's no condemnation for me, that there is no uh, power that can separate me from his love. Like, like that's not a throwaway. That's a passage I've got memorized. I'm thinking on it. I'm dwelling on it. I'm ready to punch Satan in the face with it. I know there's a day coming where I feel condemned. Anybody this week? Screw up and feel, oh man, there's that shame thing again. Anybody? Just me? Okay, five of us. Man, we are killing this thing at the village. 
right? Like, no, like I need to be armored up. So I love this. This is my favorite. Uh, Romans 8, 31 through 35. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? You ever feel like the whole world's against you? Families against you? Like crazy friends against you? Yeah. Maybe especially. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is it to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, he was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, danger, or sword? The question's rhetorical. Nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. Now, I need to know that. And I need to know that because the book said it, not because I'm gonna feel it on a Tuesday. Right? So, so this is ground zero. This is foundational. Not my feelings, but what the book says. And so I know. And, and listen, how can I say some of the things I say up here if I don't believe this? Like the whole thing we just did where, where I'm just saying, hey, listen, no, God hates sin and sinners. Like, man, that ain't growing this place. So I gotta believe that. I've gotta believe that whether you care for me or not, like me or not, hear what I say or not is a secondary issue to my acceptance before God and my trying to honor him by saying what's true and letting the, the outcome be the outcome. See, I gotta believe this. I gotta believe this so I don't ask my wife to be more than she can be. I gotta believe this so I don't try to live vicariously through my children. I've gotta believe this so that when critique and criticism comes, I know where my identity is so I can be rightly shaped by good criticism but not crushed by it. Are you seeing it? Like this, we gotta be here, you gotta get this. This is a great text to just memorize and remind yourself, there is no condemnation for you if you're in Christ. There's no accusation that sticks. There's nothing that can separate you from the love of Christ Jesus. That's rooted in faith. The book says it, I believe it. I'm camping on it, I'm meditating on it, I'm telling myself it, I'm arguing with myself with it. And then there's the hunger and desire to experience it in the deep parts of my soul. And these things are not at odds. Like this is um, King David, one thing I have asked of the Lord and this will I seek after that I might dwell in the house, all, the house of the Lord all the days of my life to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and seek him in his temple. Like, David's not talking about moving into the temple and making it its house. He, he's, he's talking about an experience of the love of God in the deep parts of his soul. He's not the only one that talks this way. Moses had the gall to pray like that. Moses says in Exodus, like, 33, show me your glory. What? Like, you, you got the burning bush, man. Like you wrecked shop in Egypt, man. Are you saying, you saw miracle after miracle after miracle and you're still like, show me your glory? You see the hunger for it. The apostle Paul who'd been to the third heaven, I don't even know what that is. Anybody been there? Email me. Like he says, oh, that I might know him. What? You met him on the road to Damascus. He spoke to you. You've been to the third heaven. You've told people they're not allowed to be dead. What are you talking about? Oh, that I might know him. They're talking about an experience in the inner man. 
that blows past just kind of intellectual bearings. Now, do the scriptures define all that? Absolutely. Should we be hunger, hungry to experience that? Yes. And, and let me say this because um, we're creatures of our time. And, and what I mean by that is uh, I think, especially maybe if you grew up in church and you, you went to youth camp and you know, it was Thursday night and we sang for two hours until everybody came down here and recommitted their life. So you got the goosebumps uh, on the back of your neck. And you know, there's this, there's this idea that this kind of thing happens in a big room with a great production and a lot of lights and a lot of, and I'm not saying it doesn't happen there. I would like to argue that most consistently, that is not where I've experienced the love of God. It is in those places where I have tried to quiet myself before him and to with a pure heart say, I want to love you more than I do. I want to love you more than I do, Lord. I just, I do love you. Gosh, I, I'm crazy. I just, I want to love you more. I want you to be more in my heart than you are. I, I want you to exert all the more your authority uh, over me. I, I want you to rule in these spaces. I don't even know where I'm not submitted to you. Will you show that to me? Will you? And man, I have, I have been overwhelmed by the love of God driving my truck. Simply because I stopped and, and like turned my mind to him, turned my attention. I'm like Romans 12 did, man. I just turned my focus to him and just said, I love you. I, like, I really love you, Jesus. And then I, I got like a weird kind of, I love you too. And I was like, whoa, he loves me too. It was in my truck. I, was, I think I was listening to Merle Haggard. I wasn't listening to worship. Right? It doesn't, like, I think the way we do this has gotten silly. It's happened in my dining room uh, island. Like, when I get up in the morning, I sit at our island, 5 a.m. in Leviticus. Who's going to think God loves them reading about a baby goat being boiled in its mother's milk, and yet the Holy Spirit ambushed me? And I, and I could feel in those deep places, oh, my God, he loves me. Like, not, yeah, God loves me. Like, wow. He loves me. And that becomes the wind in the sails. That transmutes into spiritual power. And so let us always be people of the book, rooted in it, teaching it, believing it, quoting it to ourselves, to the world, and yet let us also be hungry to experience his goodness and grace. I think the easiest way to move in this direction, and I'm, it's just, I really think it's this simple, is for you to start, it's gonna sound crazy, I don't, it's so crazy I'm not sure you're gonna believe me, to ask him for it. Like, ask him. I, I don't, again, I, the Lord loves pure hearts. Can I tell you how I get worried about us? Because I think a lot of, there's a lot of Christians in here right now that are stuck on a bit of a treadmill. And here's what I mean by that. I know January's coming. We, we're trying to do things backwards. And, and what I mean by that is we're trying to morally purchase from God an experience of his delight. Hmm? We are trying to morally purchase from God an experience of his delight. Well, do you remember back when we read Romans 5 earlier? 
Didn't read, thank you. That, that kid was with me. <laughs> That's awesome. Like it's, it's you when you're weak. It's the weak that get to experience the love of God. It's the while we were still sinners that experienced the love of God. It's the, right? It's not the strong. I mean, that, that experience actually becomes our strength. And so again, I, I mean, I've just been here for 20 years, man. I, I just think there's, there's this kind of I attend church and I'm a good man or good woman kind of thing that, that really is robbing you. It's not robbing us, it's robbing you, friend, sis, brother. Like what God has for you is to answer those questions in the deep part of your guts that you don't ever want to think about. And to answer it with his compassion and grace. To answer it with a, yeah, I know and I love you. Yeah, I know and I've come towards you. Yeah, yeah, I know, you're my kind of guy. Oh, I know, you're just the kind of lady I'm looking for. Right? But... But if you don't get, I'm telling you, if you don't get that God hates sin and sinners and that his love's been made manifest by moving towards them, not destroying them, to send Christ into the world, not to condemn the world, but save the world from condemnation, like that, that, that's the stuff of Christianity. That, that's the stuff that shapes us into the kinds of people that God is turning us into over an extended period of time in our lives, more slowly than any of us want. And yet that heart posture, God, help me. Spirit, increase my love for Jesus. Help me experience in the deep parts of my soul his love, his grace. His, I know it, I know it, but help me know it. Move me with it, shape me with it. We always play low high. Um, at our dinner table, Chandler House, lowest part of the day, highest part of the day, because they have to answer, right? Because you can't be like, uh, I didn't really have anything bad that happened. You're like, great, so what's your least favorite thing that happened? And it's a good way to have us talking. Well, the other night, we played, well, it's actually several months ago now, and then I just asked the question, hey, why don't we do this? Why don't we go around the table? Why don't we talk about a moment in our lives where the presence and goodness and love of Jesus was so real and so rich that it was overwhelming to us? We just kind of spent the night tearing up and celebrating how God invaded dark moments and light moments and how he touched us and rescued us and we held hands and prayed. And that's not every dinner. So if you're like, well, yeah, Pastor Ryan. No, no, no. Yeah, it's not most dinners at all, right? It, but it was that night. And, and what did, it, they were these stories of how the Lord met us in dark moments. That was a crazy theme in it. Like, no, he's like, I was having the best day ever. And the Lord met me and I was like, woo. It was like, I was hurting. I was lonely. I thought it was unlovely. And the Lord met me. He met me with kindness. He met me with grace. And so when we're celebrating Christmas, Advent, we're celebrating that love has manifested in the sending of the Son. That we might experience life there might be propitiation for our sins and we might be seen as holy, spotless, and pure in his sight. And that's why the gospel's called good news, right? So let's do this, thank you. Let's do this.
Um, I, I do wonder. Um, like, like I know there's believers in here, people who genuinely and truly, they, they, they've surrendered their life to Jesus. They, they've said, I'm following you. I believe the book. I'm going to trust in the book. And, and yet that, that this thing that I'm talking about, this hunger for the presence and power of God, this hunger to experience his love has been one of those things that you have found like just not as common or consistent as you would like. Now, I think some of that is God likes to build our faith muscles, and that's good, but I also believe he wants to show you that more than you think he does. Like, if, if I'm an earthly father, and I'm so desperate for my kids to know I love them, so desperate to know that them to know I want to be with you, I want to hear from you, I want to, uh, I've got a, you know, I've got one now that's in that stage of those years where, like, every question's like, ah, but I'm like, no, I, I love you. I want to know what's going on. Uh, I'm like, okay, you know what? I'm going to keep asking. You can roll your eyes, but not too hard. I'll snatch that thing out. So um, in here, like that, that might be you spiritually. Like, I don't know what's going on. I don't even know what you're still struggling with. But maybe it's just really hard for you to believe. Maybe you think, I've got to clean this up before I can have that. And I'm saying the real prayer is I hate this about me. Help me. Help me experience your love in such a way that drives this out. Help me. God doesn't despise the brokenhearted. Christian, you, you can pray that over and over and over and over again. I mean, I just, I, I have all these weird little transitions in my day that I'm just, that I'm turning my mind to them. I love you. I want to love you more. Help me as I go into this meeting. Like, like let me wear, like cover me in a delight of you. And just keep asking. He loves to be asked. Or maybe you're here and you're not a Christian and maybe you're just wildly offended by me. I'm sorry, I promise. I meant zero offense. In fact, I would want to argue with you that I actually love you enough to say something that might frustrate you. Because I think whatever brought you in here this morning, that annoying friend or neighbor, maybe you've got some real junk going on in your life right now and there's some sort of childhood memory of VBS or something that brought you. I don't know. I'm, those are real testimonies from people who have actually become Christians here. So I don't, I don't know how the Holy Spirit, the hound of heaven got you in here. But I wonder if you're not here today so that you could hear me say in front of all these people that even though you're weak and stuck and life is a mess, that this whole season, every light you see, all the songs that you hear playing are all a shadow about God loving you and moving towards you to save you from all of that. I'm not telling you you get an easy life. I'm not telling you all your problems will go away. I'm telling you you can rest in the unmovable, unshakable love of a Savior. This is available to all who would come and trust in him. And so in just a second, I'm going to pray for us, um, and then we're going to stand up and sing. And if this morning, like, like you, you know, like something's cut your heart, like you know, I need to finally say yes to this Jesus. I need to finally surrender. Well, there's going to be some men and women along that back wall. You can go back there and just grab one of their hands. They would love to pray with you, uh, hear from you, and then begin to walk with you in the weeks and months to come as you navigate what it means to live surrendered to King Jesus in your life. Gosh, if you're up for it, we'll baptize you today, man. We'll give you some shorts and a t-shirt, and this place will blow up at a, at a celebration that you've come into our little family of faith. And if I want you, if you're a Christian, to have a kind of holy discontentment and a hunger 
to experience the love of God and to understand the depth and height and width and all of that about it in your inner being in a way that moves past knowledge because it's available to you. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you for these men and women. Thank you for an opportunity to just be together. Encourage our hearts, build us up in your love. Thank you that there is no wrath or condemnation for those of us who are in Christ. Thank you that you came and saved us from our sins, that you lifted us out of the muck and the mire and you set our feet on a rock. You put a new song in our mouth, a hymn of praise to you, our God. Pray that you'd grant salvation to those who are far, encouragement to those who are near. Let us leave here built up in your love. Through your beautiful name I pray.